Our guest today worked with Led Zeppelin in the 70s, helped Stevie Nicks launch her solo career. He's managed Bonnie Raitt, Sonic Youth, The Almond Brothers, and Nirvana. Please welcome the president of Gold Village Entertainment, Danny Goldberg. How's it going, man? Hey, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Do you drink coffee? Uh, I'm actually having some tea. Oh, some tea, yeah. How do you take your tea? You know, it, this is like ginger tea, so I'm, I'm, I don't have anything in it, you know. It's just straight. I mean, it's very good, too. Um, you know, you know one, one area of the music industry that I'm always interested in, and I'm sure there, there are others who listen to the show are as well, uh, is the management part, the business of music, right? Uh, where do you draw the line between manager and friend? And when the, imagine the artist and, it, you know, it, you get so close, right? It, it is, a, it, 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 I certainly feel that way now with the people I work with, because I have a small company. I work with those five artists we were talking before recording, the, the Trues and, and uh, Steve Earle, the Waterboys and Martha Wainwright and Ben Lee. But, you know, in general, it's a personal service business. It's, um, uh, it involves, uh, you do develop having a personal relationship with, with, with the artist, certainly the way I've always done it. And, um, you know, occasionally, I would say over years, I think a couple of times it's turned into something that would have the characteristics of a friendship, but it's like any other service relationship. You're working for the artist. Money is changing hands. They're the boss. So it's not exactly the same as a friendship, but I don't know how to do it without getting emotionally involved with an artist and really caring about them. And when they're upset, I'm upset. And so on. So, so it's a hybrid between a conventional working relationship and a personal relationship, like you were suggesting. So, so it could really backfire on you if you get really, really close to them, right? Well, it's very disappointing uh, when they leave. If if you care about them, uh, like any relationship that ends, you know, uh, uh, it, it, when, once you're open to somebody, there's the vulnerability that comes with that. But uh, it's it, I don't know how to do a good job without uh, without caring about an artist as a manager. I think there are other roles you can play that are more distant. When I ran record companies, you know, there were artists I became close to, and there were artists I only met a few times and had a more distant relationship with but but the day-to-day management of an artist's career you get to know them pretty well and uh yeah when it goes well it's great and when it doesn't it sucks well what do you look for in an artist if you're going to sign them to a management deal or take them on well it, 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 it's there's there's uh it, it depends on what point in in my career but in general firstly it's time intensive to do it right. So, uh, and it's a service business. So you're not accumulating assets like copyrights or something. So they've got to be able to, uh, to make enough money to pay for the time because, you know, even though it's, we don't manufacture things, they're still uh, paying staff and health insurance to people in America and, uh, and uh, travel and rent and so on. So, so for, for what I do now is limited to artists that are at a certain level where, where they can at least make enough money that they can pay us enough to keep us in business so we can actually do a good job. And then, uh, you know, uh, I certainly want to respect, uh, hopefully love their music, but definitely respect it. And then I want to feel that there's a personal connection uh, that it's comfortable because you're spending time with somebody. And I think it's the same from the point of view of the artist. They want someone who has the expertise to do a good job 
uh, has the time to focus on them and uh, who they personally are comfortable with because it's somebody they're going to have to talk to uh, sometimes in good times and in bad times. And speaking of management, about a year and a half ago, we talked, uh, you released a book, um, Serving the Servant, uh, Remembering Kurt Cobain. Uh, yeah. You can get it on Amazon. You can actually, if you have the audio subscription for the audiobooks, you can download it for free. Uh, give us some insight on what kind of person Kurt Cobain actually was behind the scenes. Well, I, I he was certainly a very complicated person, like a lot of artistic genius types. Uh, he had many facets to his personality, and I was not connected to all of them. I I I, I was older than him. I was when we met. I was. Uh, 40 and he was 23 very different generations and um the the um uh, so i i sort of knew him the way a manager would know an artist we talked about his career primarily but in general he was very nice person i will tell you that firstly not everybody who's brilliant is is a uh, compassion caring about other people he was and when i did the book and i spoke to 30 or 40 people who were close to him at different during the time when i worked with him i mean people were so emotional about what a sweet human being he was besides that he was a great songwriter this amazing voice this this genius at understanding imaging and communication with the mass audience so he was very very sweet he was prone to depression but he was not always depressed he was uh, extremely committed to his art and when he worked he had a fierce worth of ethic you know when the when Nirvana uh, was knew they were going to record uh, Nevermind, he insisted they went into a rehearsal studio for months, eight hours a day, five days a week. So they knew all their parts. I spoke to Butch Vig, who produced Nevermind. He said he couldn't believe it. They came in the studio. They knew it, it took one or two takes because they, they were so well rehearsed. And that was Kurt had that, that work ethic. He was very serious about his art. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he I, I don't know. It's such a broad question. You know, what was he like? I loved yeah. him as a human being. I, I can tell you that, but he was, uh, he did have his demons widely publicized. He had a tough childhood. He had a, you know, a drug addiction problem and so on and killed himself. So there's no, there's no denying the dark side, but I, I, when I think about him, I remember that beautiful smile of his, and I remember how incredibly talented he was. I mean, his ability in real time to make very sophisticated decisions and, and chart a new course in rock and roll was, was, was a thrilling to, to, to witness, you know, up close. I, I think, I think if we look back at that period where Nirvana came out and took over for that brief period of time, I think if Kurt were looking down on us right now, he'd be very proud because Nirvana's music has trans is transcending generations of, of, of other rock and roll grunge lovers. And it's on that short, they're on the, that short list with like Hendrix and the Beatles. And, and it's a band that everybody knows and everybody has heard. Um, uh, 30 million copies have been sold of Nevermind just worldwide. That's just, just the one, I think the, the one I do love the, my favorite album and i might be might be kind of off on this because i know people are kind of against the unplugged uh, record but i think the unplugged the mtv unplugged with nirvana is probably the one of the best unplugged records of all time the acoustic records right so um so much great work and i know that kurt was very ambitious uh, he had a lot of say so from the shirt he wore uh to the band's t-shirts he designed kind of like the mick jaggard or a keith richards thing that they do the rolling stones so um being the guy who was able to hear 
some of these tracks from Nevermind. What was your first impression from the beginning when you first heard these songs? Um, well, I liked Smells Like Teen Spirit. I mean, I think all of us uh, uh, who were working with the band when we heard that song knew that was something pretty special. I didn't know it was going to be also a pop hit. I didn't know there was such a thing as a grunge artist having a pop hit. So no one that I know of dreamed of that. I certainly didn't, but I knew it was a special song. Um, you know, the thing about Kurt was that that he had the... Um, love of the imagery and the attitude of punk rock and he he really embodied that but he also loved the craftsmanship of great songwriting and one of the things that he did that made nirvana different from the the punk band that had come before was he wrote incredible melodies choruses and and so uh, that was kind of apparent early on that this was not only somebody that was very dynamic on stage. And the first time I really fell in love with the band was the first time I saw them on stage and saw how he connected with an audience. But um, but that he was an extremely extremely good songwriter. And uh, you know the, those songs, you know, they, like you said, they only made a few albums. It's remarkable how many of those songs have melodies that you can remember, choruses that you can remember. Uh, not every rock band who's good live also has somebody in the band who writes those kinds of uh, songs. So, so that was uh, that was apparent uh, uh, certainly when hearing hearing the songs when they were rehearsing for Nevermind. I had no idea it was going to be the phenomenon it became that it was going to touch that kind of a nerve because I didn't know that nerve existed sort of in the psychology of the global rock audience. Nirvana was the one who kind of helped bring that part of the audience alive and bring rock and roll into a new generation. But, uh, but I knew it was really good. How do you handle that, that much of a whirlwind of success just all of a sudden? Well, uh, you know, um, in my case, with a big smile on my face, I was really so excited. I've been in the business a long time and had the privilege of working with great artists, but to actually manage or co-manage with my ex-partner, John Silva, a band that had that kind of um, impact was was extraordinarily exciting. Uh, the visibility that the band had certainly brought some problems for Kurt, and that's I write about that in the book, and it's been widely documented, but... Uh, but it was pretty exciting at the beginning when 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 it just exploded so quickly in the fall of uh, 1990. Uh, what was it? The, the 93. You know, uh, uh, that was uh, that was. Um, you, you know, it came out in September, and uh, you know, band who'd been on an indie label and sold 30 or 40,000 records. And then, and then their next record uh, comes out in September. And by January, just three and a half months later, it's the number one selling album in the world. That's a very fast uh, trajectory. And it was, uh, it was on the back of Smells Like Teen Spirit, that song and that video, but it was then reinforced by the impact that the band made as a live band and, and the kind of attitude they had, the three of them all, all were ready for it in a way they knew who they were and that was an advantage they had. They they never had to ask who they were, or what they thought about anything. They 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 knew who they were, but you know, it it, it brings with it uh, no, nobody. There's no training for being famous, and it brings with it uh, stresses that some people deal with better than others. You know, and, and, and being married to Courtney Love, they they Kurt and 
Courtney had kind of a, a competition going too, right? They loved each other, but they're both musicians. Uh, I know at one time Courtney was going to record a song, but it was a Nirvana song. He didn't want her to record that. So, I mean, like how, how was it managing both Hole and Nirvana? Well, Kurt wanted me to manage Hole. I mean, that's, that was part of how, you know, Hole was looking for a manager. I, uh, you know, after he got involved with Courtney, they fell in love pretty quickly and got married within a few months after that. And, and, and I recognized that they were in love, you know, that was an advantage of being older, a lot of disadvantages to being older, not really authentically connecting with the music the way someone did, if they were listening to, you know, black flag in high school or something, you know, I was listening to folk music in high school, again, different generation, but I think that, um, you know, they were in love and, 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 uh, you know, my ex-wife was the lawyer for Hole, And I, I, I leaned over and asked him, I said, would you, would you want me to manage Hole?" And he said, oh, that would be so awesome. Cause he felt in a weird way validated that somebody in his business life was recognizing her as an artist and not just as a, you know, problem, which is the way some of the people around the band look at it. And uh, I didn't really feel they were in competition. I mean, Kurt was extremely supportive of Hole, and Courtney was well aware of, of, uh, you know, Kurt's genius and, uh, there is that one story I tell in the book about about the song. Um, God, it's on in utero. Uh, I can't believe I'm I'm having a, a block on the on the name of it. Um, uh, it's all good. It's all good. I uh, I'll find it. <laughs> Hang on, let me. Uh, let me remind myself what it's called. I can't believe this is what happens. You get older occasionally. Uh, hey, you have lo- you have had lots of experience, right? I mean, it, it, these are all memories you have to recall. Penny, penny royalty, penny 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 royalty. Yeah, of course, penny royalty. So she she had she had um, uh, you, you know at one point she did a little club so show just as Courtney Love and she and she did a version of Penny Royalty. This is before the band recorded it. And it was unbelievable. I was like, whoa, I, that was the first time I heard the song. Uh, Kurt had, I think, demoed it or played it, but I hadn't heard it. And um, and then he called me and he says, look, Courtney really loves that song, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is a Nirvana song. Don't don't encourage this, the idea of whole recording it. And, you know, she never, she never brought it up. I just love that story because it showed how much attention Kurt paid to every detail and, and how how focused he was on, on Nirvana's success, but you know, they were very, very supportive of each other artistically and there was never any kind of a professional conflict. I mean, they had their dramas, but it wasn't about the music business. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people thought that she was like very, very big trouble. And, and a lot of, there was a lot of hate towards Courtney Love. And of course, after, um, you know, Kurt decided to end his life. You know, there, there was so many theories. There's some weird conspiracy theorists on Twitter who has something really going against them in, in, in a really weird way and just keeps on going at it. And um, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's over. It's that it's done. But like, I, I do, I did find something. Uh, I'm not sure if you can confirm this or not. Um, David Geffen calling you a month before Kurt actually killed himself saying that he had overdosed. Um, is, is well, that- what happened is that Kurt, th- 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 we knew Kurt had overdosed. Courtney had, had, had called me. I, I, by this time, about halfway through managing um, Nirvana, I took a job at Atlantic Records and I continued to be a co-manager of the band, mostly dealing with him. What was in New York, I, my second kid had been born or, you know, or was coming, you know, and, and, um, and, um, 
and and in Rome, uh, he had overdosed on a pharmaceutical. I think it was Rohypnol. It was called, and was in a hospital. And um, and and Courtney was very worried, and we were praying on the phone. And you know, there was another woman who worked worked with us named Janet Billig was her name at the time. Uh, she's got a married name now that I'm also spacing out on. But um, the the um, and and David somehow heard or the rumor got garbled that that Kurt had died, and David called me about that, and it took me 20 minutes to confirm that he had not died, and you know. Uh, it was just a, a weird, uh, a weird uh, moment in time. But, um, but I think it was only six or eight weeks later that he did die. And where were you at that time when you you actually? Heard I was it? in New York. I was at the Atlantic Records office in New York. Uh, you know when I got that that call. Uh, I was all. That's also where I was when I got the call that he had died. Unreal. In between those calls, I did make one final trip out to Seattle to talk to him. You know, but. Um, in general, I was I was mostly living in New York by that time. Is the is the Billy Corgan conspiracy like is that true or? I don't know what you're talking about about Billy Corgan. What what what? what I heard, I heard. I mean, like from some things I've read, um, and people have told me that you know Billy Corgan and Courtney Love had something going. Um, you know, ultimately it was a murder or a guy. Well, well, well. There's no question that Billy Corgan and Courtney had had a romance uh, before before she was involved with with Kurt um she she her romance with Kurt started in Chicago shortly after Nevermind came out I happened to have gone to that show and um that's where I first met Courtney she came into the dressing room and the next thing I knew she was sitting on Kurt's lap and the next by the next day they were together and would be for the rest of his life and she had originally come to Chicago to see Billy and, and as she told, you know, and then and then and then he was with somebody else. So she then went to see see Nirvana. So there's no question that they had a relationship that's never been hidden. Mm-hmm. And as I, I, I don't know if they're still friends now, but I wouldn't be surprised if they if they still were friends, as far, you know, but but I, I don't know what that has to do with uh, with Kurt's death. I mean, it's it's just it's just a completely unconnected uh, thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll look, I like Courtney Love. I always liked her as a person. I think she's an extraordinary artist. I think Hull's body of work and Courtney's body of work stands up extremely well. And it meant a lot to the fans, uh, critically acclaimed, platinum, you know, lived through this, you know. And, uh, you know, she's at the same time, I recognize that she's uh, can offend people. She's outspoken and she had her own problems with drugs over the years. And not everyone likes her. Uh, not everyone likes me either. But I, 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 I always like Courtney. And uh, I think that's part of where I became closer to Kurt at that time was because I was one of the few people in the kind of circle around him that did connect with her. But, um, you, you know, I, I don't. Um, uh, I, I I believe Kurt killed himself. I uh, I saw him a, a few weeks before he died. Um, he was very depressed. He was prone to depression. Uh, he had he was addicted to drugs. He, uh, you know, uh, I, I have. Uh, I, I also think the Seattle Police Department probably. Uh, yeah, he had a ton of demons to fight too, right? You no, know, I think I think the Seattle Police Department would be the people that would were in charge with analyzing uh, what happened and they said it was a suicide. And then later, because a few hundred people online kept complaining about it, they did a second investigation and came to the same conclusion. I, I have no, re- why, why would the Seattle police department uh, 
you know, yeah, <laughs> have absolutely. any reason not to uh, not to be truthful about it. It's not like Courtney has some political clout, you know. <laughs> I, I, it's 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 funny that you say that she was very outspoken because if she were to speak out like the way she did back in the 90s today she would be just absolutely like crucified in some of the things for how she is right and the type of person she is right well i don't i don't know about that i mean she was certainly attacked a lot when she then yeah there are people that don't like her now and there are people that love her very much and are inspired by her i i, I don't think there's a big difference I think she's in better shape physically and psychologically now. I yeah. think as far as I know, she's in good shape. It's been at least a year since I've been heard from her, maybe closer to two years, but you know, um, complicated person, extraordinarily talented artist, multi-talented. And uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, I'll, you know, I, uh, that's, uh, I don't know what else to say, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, you have so many great memories and experiences. Um, you know, we talked about that short list of artists that Nirvana is on with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Hendrix. Um, you also had the opportunity to work with Led Zeppelin uh, in your past. Can you talk about uh, how that began? And I know you were uh, the VP of one of their record labels as well. Yeah, well, it was a very different time. Uh, you know, with Nirvana, I, I turned 40 in 1990. And was in my early 40s during the time I worked with them. Uh, Zeppelin, I was in my early 20s. I was 22 when I first met them and 25 when I stopped working for them. So different time in my life, early time in my career and a defining time in my career. I mean, even when I years later met Zeppelin, Dave Grohl wanted to know what John Bonham was like. And to this day, I get asked about Led Zeppelin and, and it was incredibly good fortune that I got to work with them. I... Um, I had started my career as a kind of wanted as, as a rock uh, journalist or critic or, uh, you know, writing for different American magazines, circus magazine. I was managing editor of, and I wrote for the trades, wrote some record reviews for Rolling Stone. Couldn't make it as a writer, um, had to pay my rent. Uh, I got a job as a publicist working for a big showbiz PR company called Salters and Roskin. And they had Broadway shows and Frank Sinatra and Barbara Streisand. And they wanted a, young person with who understood this rock thing because it was this growing part of the entertainment business and they wanted their share of that uh, business and lee salters the guy that ran it hired hired me and within a few months um uh in the spring of 73 i think i started working there in january and by march or april he asked me one day said do we want led zeppelin and i said uh, yes uh, because through a business connection to an attorney they'd approached him because they were such a name brand PR firm. He says, well, you got to come with me to meet him. I don't understand that kind of music, you know? And so I, I, uh, we went to Paris and I think it was March of 73 or beginning of April and met the band. They liked us and I was the day-to-day -day guy. And after that, I don't think Lee ever met them again or met them once or twice. And I was their publicist. And then at the end of 73, Peter Grant, who was the band's manager, told me they were starting a label and asked me if I wanted to come and work for the label, which I quickly said yes to and, and, and uh, just cooked up the title of vice president of Swansong Records, which is what they're at that time. The label didn't have a name, but it, within the year, Jimmy Page had come up with the name Swansong Records. Wow. So uh, so I did that till. May of 76. I worked for them for about three years. I was involved with two American tours, 73 and 75. And with the release, the album that I was fully engaged with. The first one that came out was uh, Houses of the Holy when I worked with them initially. And then it's Swan Song. Their first Swan Song album was Physical Graffiti. 
And then they were starting to record in through the outdoor, but hadn't finished it when I left. So that's the period in their career when I work with them. That's unreal. So it was mostly publicity. Uh, There were some other things, uh, the liaisoning with other departments of the record company, Atlantic Records, even though Swanson was a label, it went through and was a venture with Atlantic Records. And it was just the U.S. They had uh, different people doing this kind of work in the U.K., but for the United States, I was I was kind of the liaison to the media primarily for for Zeppelin, both radio and press. You've had so many great memories and experiences. I, I, I would say not just the U.S., North America. Yeah, uh, yeah they, did, they did. They did play Canada and they were a big band in Canada, too. Zeppelin, absolutely massive. Uh, there are so many people still obsessed with Nirvana and still obsessed with Led Zeppelin. I know. Lucky for me, I still get people like you to want to talk to me. Hey, anytime. You're welcome back anytime. You know, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day um, to be on the show. Um, meet, meet me for coffee with Danny Goldberg, the manager of Nirvana uh, and many more other, other other artists. He is the president of Gold Village Entertainment um, and he's got so many great memories and, and great experiences. Go grab his book. It's called Serving the Servant remembering Kurt Cobain off Amazon or wherever you can buy a physical book um, that you want to, you know, go to the store. You could probably pick it up at the store, right? Pick it up at stores. You can order it. There's an ebook version for, for e-readers and the Kindle. There's an audio book that I read myself. Uh, that's the magic of, uh, of 2020, all these different ways. Uh, and I wrote an earlier book for people that are interested in the Zeppelin part of it called bumping into geniuses that, has a chapter, different chapters on different people I work with. And it has a pretty long chapter about working with Zeppelin. So uh, I, again, appreciate talking to you, man. And, uh, you know, uh, anytime. Thank you.